the Pac-12 Apostles are back. Lot to go over. One of the great coaches in college basketball history, Luke Olson, passes away. The Pac-12 is undergoing a massive overhaul going around, not through Larry Scott. President Trump tries to help the Big Ten get back to football. Why wasn't the Pac-12 included? Viral tweets about Pac-12 apathy. Is it real? The conference lays off 88 people. Who is to blame? And of course, your listener emails. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening. Please make sure you leave a five-star review, even though Ralph will tell you otherwise, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, leave a comment and share with a friend. And you can get a hold of us. I'm mad. I am M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. We always address your emails. You can reach us on Twitter at pac 12 apostles so much to talk about let's get to the show ralph we we had to take a break for a little bit man it was emotions were running high you know it it was 50 11 degrees outside in arizona and out here in california it was baking there was so much we needed to take a break so we could recenter and get ourselves back together to bring more great content i hope that our listeners understand uh, and we might have some listeners that are that are not based in southern california or arizona that like not it's not just hot <laughs> we <laughs> The record for most 110 degree days in the history of Arizona is 33 until this year where we hit 50 last week. And this upcoming Saturday, Sunday, Monday are supposed to be 51, 52 and 53. So um, how about that for uh, uh, 150% of the uh, hottest year ever, which I think might have been 2011 or something, a normal year. A normal year is about 25. So this is double normal. We set the record for most 115-degree days by a lot. We set the record for most 110-degree days by a lot. I All of my energy during the break, with you and I not recording, uh, was completely dedicated to keeping my plants alive and from not just catching on fire uh, in, in my yard. So uh, it, it, the... It seems in a year that has been a uh, metaphorical hell for so many people, uh, literal hell has decided to uh, to peek its head up uh, out of the ground out here in the desert. And it's not been a whole lot of fun. See, I, I think it's always very important for you to take time to get yourself back together mentally, emotionally and all of that. And Ralph had a very tough time. Uh, as we saw in the last podcast with the fact that the season was coming to a close, he was, he was mourning. And <laughs> so that was a big thing as, as well. And, you know, getting the family back together, kids going back to school ish ish. <laughs> so, you know, making sure everything is right. So we are back and we are happy to be with you guys. Um, one of the things that did happen, and we want to pay uh, homage to 
one of the greatest coaches, not only just in Pac-12 history, but in um, NCAA history, in Lute Olsen. So he passed passed away. I knew Lute because he was, uh, so I came out, was friends with Gilbert Arenas, who played at Arizona from the time that in, in high school. We played with each other, travel teams, all of that. And when I got recruited, I was a football player, but I also had basketball scholarship offers. And Luke Olson wanted me to come down to Arizona, walk onto the basketball team. He was like, yo, there's a spot on the basketball team for you. I believe that you can play here, uh, you know, but you got to come play football at Arizona. And I was literally considering that. Uh, And so he was a good man. I appreciated him you know, uh, four final fours while he was at Arizona, 11 time PAC 12 PAC 10 champion and the 1997 national championship, which was a hell of a run. And the, the, the man was just absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that he's probably, I mean, if Tucson had a King, Right. He's, a, he's, he's the most important man in, in, in the history of that town outside of whoever set up shop first. I mean, that's uh, that's somebody who always conducted himself um, with uh, with class and grace and uh, was really able to build a program from scratch, put a ton of guys uh, in the NBA. I know my um, my uh, my best friend in the entire world was uh, was was my aunt. Uh, who, who passed away a couple of years ago, but she lived down in Sierra Vista when uh, Steve Kerr and Sean Elliott were, were out there balling at University of Arizona and forever fell in love with that program and was absolutely elated uh, when, uh, when that 97 team was able to make that run. And I mean, the, what a run that was. I think from that tournament, I think what most people remember is University of Kansas coming in as a number one seed at 34 and one. Uh, with Paul Pierce and Jacques Vaughn and Scott Pollard, you know, I think they had four NBA players in the lineup and then they get knocked out by U of A and then U of A takes out the, the, the major Cinderella in Providence and God sham God. Uh, and then they have to face two number ones um, on the way to winning a championship in both university of North Carolina and university of Kentucky. And um, Kentucky had Ron Mercer and Nazi Muhammad and, uh, and that North Carolina team had, I mean, I think Anton Jameson and Vince Carter. And so that run that that U of a team went on with uh, Miles Simon, Mike Bibby, Michael Dickerson uh, and Jason Terry coming off the bench, you know, that, that forever cemented Lute Olson's legacy as a winner and a champion, because I mean, he, he brought it every single year and he got recruits every single year and he put people in the NBA every single year. He dominated the, the territorial cup rivalry um, almost year in and year out. And so, you know, he always would have been absolutely revered, but to legitimize things and get the state of Arizona its first real uh, championship, because I know Arizona State football had one of those ones that you just kind of had to claim it because there was no consensus um, type uh, type championships. But this one was actually, you know, you, you played a playoff. And and so, you know, probably one of the most important figures in the history of Arizona sports in Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 um, history and, and just left an incredible legacy and, and touched a, a bunch of people's lives. And you could just, I mean, you, you could just a laundry list of people who came up under him, whether it's Andre Guadala or, or Channing Fry, you know, I, I mean, it's just, you, you could go on and on and on, especially the guards, 
the guards that came out of his program, um, you know, Damon Stoudemire being chief amongst them, Gilbert Arenas, uh, you know, it's just, it goes on and on and on. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I could talk for days about the players that that came through there and getting to see them up close. Salim Stoudemire, what he did with Salim Stoudemire, the fact that, that he got guys to play for him that didn't necessarily have the ability to go play anywhere else, whether it's Salim Stoudemire or Michael Dickerson, you know, some of the greatest college basketball performances of all time. And, uh, and he's going to be missed. And, 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 you know, he, it's, it's very, it's, um, it's within reason to say that he, uh, is the, the best, uh, uh, you know, outside of John Wooden, the best coach that any of these schools um, within the w- within the Pac-12, you know, there's probably an argument for maybe a guy like Rick Majerus or or, or something like that. Um, yeah, but, but. I, I think you you can really make an argument for uh, somebody who built a program from nothing and uh, and and has meant the absolute world and the success has sustained after he's left the ability to recruit has sustained after he's left and you and I can knock Tucson as a as a as a Pac-12 city not being one of the top cities but it doesn't matter these guys know that they're just going to spend one or two years there uh, and then go and and make a tremendous amount of money in in the NBA and and he deserves a lot of love and a lot of respect and he'll be missed um, we we do have two new ratings that we do have to discuss, though, Ralph. Okay. Two new ratings. And I usually let you read them, but I forgot to tell you about this in the beginning, so I will read them. So it'll uh, be like a nice surprise for me because I didn't even know they were there. Yeah, so here is one from August 19th. I'm going to read this one first on purpose. Um, I'm changing. This is from Erod C.A. I'm changing my previous four-star review to a five-star review for two good reasons. I appreciate George's. I appreciate George acknowledging that ASU is a rising star along with Jaden Daniels. Thank you, Ralph, for also highlighting ASU is a, as a great team and future. It's all I was asking. Forks up, kudos. The second reason behind the five-star review is acknowledging as true adults that we have no football due to President Trump's lack of leadership. If Pac-12 fans can't see that at this point, America's in real trouble or will continue to be in trouble. I'll keep listening. Gentlemen, thank you. Um, The next one is, George is a good human, doesn't know his bees. (laughs) Uh, this is from George fan one, two, three. Um, I have been listening to the podcast since it's upset inception. No I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been waiting to review, but tonight forced the decision. Pac 12 content has generally been good, but George knows nothing about B biology. For that reason, I unfortunately have to reduce my rating by one star. This isn't fair. Because I tweeted I am about the so lost. Is this based off something you tweeted? Yes. So oh, I tweeted out this picture. You cost us a five star and, and and okay, again, not a competitive person, but you cost us a five star review and you're gonna blame it on me that we got a four star because I welcome them if there's legitimate criticism, but this is outside the bounds of what we do together. Also, he misspelled your name, which is pretty funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> Garogi fan. I so I tweeted a picture of a bee that 
that was um, that had died on my pool cover. This was like a dinosaur bee, a dinosaur bee. I remember this this tweet. And I was like, is this a murder hornet? Is this that mean the thing had fur on it? Fur. So I'm like, I don't I don't know what the hell this thing is. And it I I was just like, is this do I need to be afraid? Really? And (laughs) uh, people told me that it was a carpenter bee. Yeah. And I was like, uh, this feels giant if it if it is a carpenter bee. My, mind you, I don't know bee, bee biology. I just know I don't I wouldn't know a honeybee from a now I know what a carpenter bee is, but I mean, are they dangerous? Not not really. I mean, the, I freak out more when I see a carpenter bee. Uh they're super common. I, I they're they're alone, almost always alone. And they're very lumbering when they fly and it makes a really loud noise. And, uh, and, and they, they have a tendency to kind of like steer at the last second. So if you have one flying towards your head, like they're not going to hit you, but it's going to be close. And so every time I've ever encountered one, it's because it's, it's doing some, uh, pod racing type flying, uh, you know, past, past my head and it, always freaks me out and i yeah, know that they're you. harmless yeah yeah they do they do they they just kind of they they give you that low overhead flight um and I, I i i so i don't care for them for that reason but i've never heard of anybody ever getting stung by one um i i i do want to point out though i think that he has to i think he is obliged to actually restore it to a five-star review because if it's bee biology he's worried about then the issue would be you not understanding like that it was a bee in the first place i think your issue is like bee genealogy which if he doesn't have a problem with that then he needs to go in there and give us that extra star yep and it was outside of the bounds of the podcast that's where we did. I did interact with you on the tweet, though. So it is that oh. that would have, we'd have to send that one to the judges. <laughs> so is this a fair review? I mean, a fair star review is the question. <laughs> the next thing up, though, is the Pac-12. They are looking at a massive overhaul of the conference. So this is being reported by John Wilner and a couple other people. So the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors are considering a a major overhaul to the quote-unquote entire structure and composition of the conference, including contract issues and other things like, like that. So they would hire a media consultant who would be giving a who would be given authority to work independently of Commissioner Larry Scott and report directly to the presidents. What is your first thought when you hear that, Ralph? Anytime that you have to do a massive restructuring of your business, uh, it's because something's going wrong. You don't you don't massively restructure your business unless you either are failing miserably or you just have a massive infusion of capital that allows you to play out what your wish list is for your for your business to ultimately look like. So you do not restructure when things are going well. You restructure when you're trying to survive 
or when you're trying to accelerate. And this conference is not trying to accelerate, not after laying 88 people off, not after letting Mike Yam's contract expire, not after the embarrassment of everything that came out about them trying to pay uh, to have uh, an LA Times reporter in their pocket, not after blowing it with the direct TV negotiations, not after not being able to get a deal done with Hulu or YouTube. Um, it, you know, there's not after not being able to get teams in the, um, in the college football playoff, not after being behind in revenue and not being able to hold on to their their own coaches, their own major coaches, not after the sports that they claim uh, are the ones that we should be most proudest of or the ones that are being cut completely by the University of Stanford and not after potentially being the only conference to not actually be playing football this fall. So there is no, nothing is accelerating except for the demise. You restructure because of failure and you fail because leadership failed. And so, you know, that's, that's my take on it. Is there any other take to have? (laughs) Well, I think that you, your, your take is a hundred percent right. I, my initial thought though was, okay, so you're hiring a consultant to go over the media stuff to try to figure that out, but you're paying Larry Scott you're paying him $5.4 million. Granted, he took a 10% pay, pay cut. So he's at what, like four, eight? I mean, sorry, four, six. So what are you paying him for? I mean, this is what's been the ultimate failure is the fact that Larry Scott has just been a grifter to the Pac-12. And we have said it over and over again. Like if, if he was a plant from the SEC to screw up the Pac-12, what would he have done differently? And and I can't tell you what the answer to that is because if the, there's no reason that the conference should need a quote-unquote overhaul because everybody's looking at these uh, at the TV contracts up that aren't up until 2020 that what what was 2024. That's when you're going to get a new deal, but you can start negotiating in 2021 or 2022. So the, the the issue with it is this, is that those are like the ESPN Fox contracts and all of that. But you have the issue. The first issue is the Pac-12 networks contracts, which the schools all they they all could collaborate and own their own stuff. So you have the Arizona schools, the Northwest, you have the L.A., the Mountain, all of that. So they all have their own situations going. It would make sense being that they're only available in 18 million homes. Now, now, Ralph, as a business person who has negotiated my way in and out of deals, I will tell you this is that when you have the is if you have a situation, if I have a situation and I have an exclusive rights deal. But I'm my availability is limited and that means that my capital is is limited and my future prospects are limited as well. If somebody comes to me and says, look, George, I will let let me take half of your business. And instead of you being in 18 million, 18 million homes, I'll get you in one hundred and twenty million homes and uh, 
triple your 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 payouts to each school. At least double your payouts to 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 each school. Um, what am I gonna do, Ralph? I'm gonna take it. Owning a hundred percent of something that's very little is 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 less valuable than owning fifty percent of something major and something big, and that's where Larry Scott's biggest failure has has happened. And he's been able to grift and convince people, the presidents, well, the old pres- presidents, that he should still be the guy in charge. And it's clear that he shouldn't. If you need a massive overhaul, that means that includes Larry Scott. Yeah, I mean that's. That's true. I I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, it sometimes it's hard to find compassion for uh, some of the people that are caught up in this enormous failure. You know, the people who worked for the Pac-12, they just wanted a job. You know, that they're most people when they're in a position of, you know. TV production or social media, you know, they're not necessarily, they're not fans. Everybody's a mercenary. The same with college coaches or anybody else. You are as enthusiastic as your paycheck tells you to be, right? So you have all of these people that are fully aware that there are plenty of problems with the way that the conference is run. And unfortunately for them, you know, they're not going to espouse all of those problems while they work there because they're incentivized to to keep the status quo and keep the vision of, of, of the leader that's in charge. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you know, they, they end up out of work and that person does not. And, I, you know, I, I sometimes when you're just repeatedly shouting something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, and then the the ultimate uh inevitable result of that comes along, you know, the urge is to say, I told you so, and not necessarily to say, wow, 88 people and Mike Yam are not working where they want to be working. And, uh, that's a real life failure that is, it, it exists outside of what is going on nationally with coronavirus and everything like that. The truth of the matter is this conference bit off more than it could chew. It overpromised and overdelivered for a long time and people's livelihoods ultimately ended up suffering because of it. And the more I thought about it, the worse I felt for these people. And the thing that really hammered the point home for me, and if anybody remembers anything that I say in this podcast, I want it to be this. When I was reading Ashley Adamson's thoughts that she posted to Twitter about, um, and she, she's an on-air talent for the Pac-12 Network, and, and I thought she had a really, really great perspective on everything that's going on on the the loss of her co-anchor, on the loss of her co-workers, um, and just the rough time that everybody's kind of facing. There was a tidbit that she put in there that I had never once considered, George, because you and I make fun of the fact that they spend all this money and rent all the time. And the thing that never occurred to me that Ashley Adamson pointed out in publishing her very, very eloquent thoughts was... A lot of the people who work for the Pac-12 network didn't make very much money in the first place. Certainly not enough money to live comfortably in the most expensive city in the world. And so, George, they didn't live in the city. They commuted. 
the people who worked for the Pac-12 network made personal sacrifices to get to work every day because the big boss wanted to work in the big expensive building. And so all of the people that worked under him all, you know, for, for the most part, anyway, a lot of them were having to make massive sacrifices in just their daily commute to get to work every day in order to feed this beast. And that's when it really started to actually tick me off. And that's when it really became more about um, recognizing the cost of having such poor leadership in place, it didn't just result in the loss of 88 jobs. It also resulted in the lower quality of life of the 88 people while they were employed by the Pac-12. Because they couldn't afford to live in San Francisco. They couldn't, if had this been in Vegas or Phoenix or even in Southern California, it would have been a different situation. But Ashley Adamson pointing out all the sacrifices that so many of those people that got laid off had to make in order to even get to work in the first place really got me thinking as to, as to how Larry Scott and the way that he does things affects people in their day to day outside of even just the very obvious loss of the job and loss of revenue for the schools. Well, the biggest ability to lead and his inability to, and it all goes back to the time that he called uh, 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 a meeting uh, meeting, um, with the employees of the PAC 12 in which they all figured that they were going to announce a direct TV deal. And he used it to announce his contract extension. Like what a ridiculous human being tone deaf dude. And Dude, Ralph, that was a fantastic point, dude. Absolutely fantastic. Just because the thing that stuck out to me about the 88 player, about the 88 people from the Pac-12 networks who were laid off, none of them were management. None of them. And instead of doing something sensible, like moving the headquarters, instead of spending $7 million, the the SEC spends like 1.6. You could spend $1.6 million in rent and move your headquarters to Vegas, move it to uh, where you could move it to industrial parts of say of um, the San Fernando. I'm sorry, of uh, LA where you do your um, where, where they do PAC 12 media day. You could move it to Arizona anything to be fiscally responsible for the conference. And that's what is just so troubling about it. Like, and the dude has a $1.9 million loan that he hasn't paid back. And the idea that you would take a 10% pay cut, keep the management, but then you're laying off people who run your website, who run your Twitter accounts, all of this stuff like that. That's who you lay, lay off. I mean, it, it is just asinine to me that you could have the Pac-12 presidents like do this. And then the idea that so I actually got in a, a, a Twitter fight with Rudy Carpenter about this because he said, oh, well, could th- this is coronavirus's fault. No, it's not. Coronavirus only highlighted a problem that was already there. Like it magnified a problem. And and he said, well, if the coronavirus didn't 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 come, these people would still have their jobs. You're right, but it didn't stop the mismanagement because if the conference were only spending 
you know, two million dollars in in rent and you had a commissioner making a salary commensurate with the amount of money that's paid out to each school, which the Big Ten in 2019 paid out fifty five point six million. The SEC paid out forty five point three. Big Ten paid out forty. The Pac-12 paid out 32. The ACC paid out 31, but they were getting a bump, a huge bump because of their new network deals. So they're going to be in third place. So that puts the Pac-12 last. And that is the problem, is the fact that you're third in the amount of money that you brought in, in $530 million. But then you come in last as far as the amount of money that you're able to pay out to each school and you have no plan for how you're going to do your media rights. Your availability is low, only in 18 million homes. And just the fact that, I I mean, it disgusts me really to, to see Larry Scott destroy the conference that I love so much. Like, I'm not going to talk about him as a person because I don't know him like that. And I would, I I clearly don't I don't think he's done it intentionally on purpose, but it 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 has been grifty, though, like it's been very grifty. Oh, and I mean, the 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 mobster accent, nothing against people from New York, but the mobster accent in the process doesn't do much to alleviate that public image of you know, that this dude is, is just a union boss siphoning things. Look, the, the entire thing with a commissioner is it's their job to facilitate and get out of the way. In what way has Larry Scott been a facilitator who has then gotten out of the way and allowed these schools to succeed and sell their product? He hasn't. He hasn't facilitated the deals that it's going to take to get them in more homes and in front of more people, and he has certainly done absolutely nothing to prove his level of competence. The idea that they keep bringing in consultants for every little issue that comes up is the biggest indicator that you don't have the ability to do the job yourself. It's that scene from Elf when when James Kahn's character goes to uh, was it Andy Richter and Kyle Gass? And he says, what are we going to do? And they pitch him on hiring another writer. That's the entire Pac-12's <laughs> business. Like that was a joke that was meant to show incompetence in, in elf. And with the Pac-12, it's just a reality. It's just a reality. And, and unfortunately that I know of Larry Scott doesn't have a six foot six son who was raised in the North pole that can come and, 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 and teach him uh, lessons about life in order to soften his heart and so that he can figure out what he's doing. So if he doesn't have a giant, uh, a giant elf son, that's going to come along, then, then it's just all of the elements of elf that include the failure with none of the success. So you look at the amount of, of that consultant's cost in between 25 and $50,000 per month. That's how much consultants and PR firms cost. So and the number one thing that a consultant does, the number one thing that a consultant uh, must do is justify their existence. They have to, they, they, they have to come in and say, here is why you need me. The amount of people that have probably bled the Pac-12 for money in the last 10 years uh, 
just just out of Larry Scott's inability to just have the talent in house in order to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish it is is probably an amount that rivals the, the SEC's uh, expenditures for their commissioner salary and their rent in a single year. And that's crazy to me because they hired all these consultants and they still suck. And anytime that you find out that one of these consultants has any previous ties to Larry Scott, that should let you know that that's corruption. That's like the literal definition of, of cronyism. Oh, and that's his boy though. That's his boy from, uh, from, uh, Texas, his, um, Jeff, Jeff Hunt. He, the Texas-based public relations expert and Larry Scott confidant, and uh, that he he's talking about the well in the articles that they've talked about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in um, in lunches and and learning events that have been at the San Francisco headquarters and Pac-12 staffers they used to laugh about it they used to be like are you serious I mean. Like, yeah, there's a real good chance that that guy's name is Mike and not Jeff. Why do you why do you say that? I'll just I'll let you figure it out on your own. <laughs> okay. Um like do the so you're looking at well over a million dollars paid out in the in 3 years to crisis management about the officials about about uh the LA times about all of this crisis management. You're not in a crisis. You need to fix the problem like that. It's it. It's almost like, so you brought in Larry Scott because he was able to help out with, with tennis, but then you forget that the fact that tennis also had, um, Serena Williams. I mean, just absolutely that. I mean, that's like somebody saying that, that, uh, the commissioner of golf helped the PGA ratings in the, in the, in the late nineties, early two two thousands. Well, you had tiger woods, dude, you had tiger woods. It was probably pretty easy. And the PAC 12 needed to be more creative. And the fact that, Oh, all right. I don't fashion. I've done some venture capital stuff, invested in some startups, done, done some angel investing, but like, so maybe I have a little bit of a leg up on like normal people out in the world in terms of seeing some technology that may potentially be coming out. But Larry Scott is in is in San Francisco. He's near Silicon Valley. He's hanging out, hobnobbing with with rich people and powerful people in tech. So 13, the idea 13 miles from Google, thir- like if the whole goal was to be close to these people, they're 13 miles or something like that, or 13 minutes. I, one of the two uh, that I read from Google, and they're one of the only conferences that does not have a deal with YouTube TV. Dude, how, how, how? I mean, dude, that I've been saying that from the beginning. I was like, just forget DirecTV, forget DirecTV. Don't even go after them. Just go after Hulu TV and YouTube TV. Get on both of those because people are cord cutting. And then if you can get on Roku to whatever, but those are the two that you need to be going, going to. And then maybe uh, Amazon, if that's available, because I guarantee you that the that the powers that be in the Pac-12 networks, that they would have said, oh, this is an opportunity to get in front of a bunch of more homes. Let's do this. Bro, it is just absolutely criminal and it is 
tremendously frustrating. Um, another thing that's been tremendously frustrating for a lot of Pac-12 fans is what's been going on over the last couple of days because the president, he weighed in on the Big Ten. And the Big Ten, um, he met with Kevin Warren, called him up after Clay Travis helped broker that meeting. Because So, does, so if anybody doesn't know, let me give you a quick backstory. Clay Travis, obviously, the uh, he has a Fox Sports radio show. He does something on Fox. Fox Bad runs out Outkick. Um, it used to be a you know SEC sports site, but now it's turned into a pretty right leaning you know uh, site for Jason Whitlock to take to to take hits on LeBron James, other black athletes, and and Clay to do his his thing. But re- recently, um, they developed a partnership, well, a um, a friendship, if you will, with the White House, which then led to, uh, I think, Donald Trump Jr. and uh, Donald Trump ending up on on OutKick on, on Clay Travis's radio, on his morning radio show. And just so, as a as a trigger warning, real quick, uh, we are going to be talking about the president of the United States because it, it's the topic at hand. We did get an email saying never to 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 bring up the president ever again. Uh, they oh, were upset. Oh, sorry. That, yeah, yeah. but I, I I will say like that they that if you have some type of uh, political leaning, and, and odds are there are plenty of people who listen to this podcast that that aren't just right leaning, and I, I would consider myself to be right leaning, but are actually of the ilk of you know, that new thing where we have that it's like literally Trump supporter. You you are outside of party. You are actually a supporter of this man, whatever his platform is. You're you're going to follow him into battle. He's your guy. So, so the, the odds are there's a lot of people listening to this that, that feel like, Hey, this dude is our guy. And, and, you know, their ears are going to perk up if they feel like we're treating him unfairly. And you and I, we had said like, Hey, who, who do we blame for the fact that there's no football? If you had to blame somebody. And to me, the buck always stops at the top. We just spent a long time ripping Larry Scott. We don't get any emails about that. That that, that if if there's something going on that's that's uh, countrywide, um, and this person that emailed us pointed out all the things that she felt like the uh, the the president did correctly, and you are absolutely entitled to uh, to to uh, taking those. Um, those pieces of the puzzle and telling us that, you know, it's a, it's a hot air balloon and not a trash can uh, that, that the entire puzzle is made up of. I, I definitely have a different view on it. And for me, it doesn't matter who's in office, the buck always stops at the top. So if the PAC 12 is not going to have football, I can point out 10 to 12 policy differences, attitudes, tweets, and all those things that I feel like factored into that. And, and I'll, you know, I'll be very, very honest in saying that that is illustrative also of how I feel about, uh, uh, the, the current office and, and the, and the direction of the country. Um, but at the same time, I, I felt personally like I was being logical in that circumstance. But that the part of that email said that if we brought up Donald Trump's name again, she's never going to listen again. Well, Donald Trump brought his own name up into the college football scene and we have no choice but to talk about it. So I do hope that you'll hang in there with us as a listener. We appreciate you. Uh, but if he's going to be talking college football and we're a college football podcast, we got to talk Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cared a lot more about that than I did. I, dude, I, I, I just look at all these things as, as 
wrapped up into into one because you can't the idea that we should keep politics out of sports like life has never been like that we we boycotted the 1980 olympics over politics we have like i just testified in front of the senate judiciary committee politics and sports um I as it relates watched, to name i just watched the ken burns jackie robinson documentary i'm four years late to the to the table on it but i wanted to be able to watch uh, 42 with my kids but i wanted them to have an understanding of who jackie robinson uh was and and i wanted to give them just a deeper appreciation of some of the other stuff that chadwick boseman did outside of black panther so we watched the first half of the documentary yesterday the second half of the documentary today and the entire time all i could think to myself was i thought that we were supposed to keep politics and sports separate literally everyone in baseball uh, in the 1950s and 60s was straight up endorsing candidates. Jackie Robinson yeah. hated JFK's guts. He was a Republican until they refused to break with Barry Goldwater. It was it, it literally is parallel of the whole Donald Trump thing of a populist comes in, you have a bunch of people who are Republicans and saying, hey, do we want to hitch our wagon to this guy? And then when they ultimately make the decision not to hitch their wagon to that guy, they get pushed out of the conversation altogether. There were 15 black delegates headed into the Republican National Convention when Goldwater was running against Lyndon B. Johnson. And Jackie Robinson was one of them. He was a Republican. And because they nominated Barry Goldwater, they pretty much lost the black vote, uh, the, the bulk majority of the black vote forever. Forever. Jackie Robinson literally publicly switched parties because the Republicans nominated Barry Goldwater and he was an enormous supporter of Richard Nixon. How about that? Politics out of sports. Like that's all the second half of this documentary was, was what are Jackie Robinson's politics and what are all the times that he spoke up while he was playing and, and what was the reaction to him speaking up? How upset did it make people? And what's crazy is you see a lot of the media that had negative things to say about uh, Jackie Robinson. It might've well has been uh, uh, outkick your coverage. The New Orleans Times Picayune might as well have been Clay Travis. Like the stuff they were saying about Jackie Robinson at the time is the same stuff that they say about athletes now, namely LeBron James. And so it's going to be really hard to keep politics out of sports when they've literally never been separate. Yeah. And, and the fact that you have politicians regularly um, interjecting them th themselves into sports. So back to back to where we were with the with President Trump intervening at, you, you know, like meeting with Kevin. Well, having a phone conversation with Kevin Warren that was facilitated by Clay Travis on on a some level. So um, a bit because Clay has been trying to get football back just in general, forget the long term health effects because he's now an epidemiologist. And and can we can we can we stop one more time? I'm gonna keep interrupting you. Clay Travis is an incredibly smart dude. Yeah. I do not personally believe that he believes all the stuff that he's saying, but he at the same not. time, you, do you know who he reminds me of? Do you, do you know that uh, David Koresh? Remember the whole Waco FBI? Oh yeah, or whatever. David Koresh was an incredibly intelligent, incredibly charismatic dude. And one of the revelations that he came up with uh, for the people that were the Branch Davidians that were actually living in that compound with him is that it was no longer the burden of any of the males that were within that Branch Davidian sect 
to have sexual relations, that sex was a burden and therefore he would put that entire burden upon himself so that you would not have to focus on sex. And this includes the married man. Such a, such a nice guy, right? Yeah, such a just just an absolute class dude for taking that burden on himself. He was a very intelligent, very charismatic man who who you know the, there is there is plenty of evidence that he probably believed a little bit more of what he was saying than Clay Travis does. But he said, you know, hey, uh, it's going to be for me. I'm going to be the one to have sex with all the women. You're welcome. And I remember Clay Travis got his whole start tr- trying to drive politics out of sports and now he has taken upon the burden of being political within sports for everybody else and it it reminds me very much of david koresh we've created a religion of outkick of clay travis fans who all came together under the banner of keeping political discussion out of sports coverage and pushing back against the ever increasing uh, woke majority of loud voices that are out there and the liberal media and whatever else you want to call it. And in order to push back, you have to take that burden upon yourself. And Clay Travis has made outkick into the giant. It is today upon the foundation of being political. So how about that? You are a hundred percent right again. I'm also so, done. Interrupting. I'm tapping out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, these are these these are great points, though. So so keep interrupting whenever we, you have something. We, great. we had we had two weeks off in which I was addressing uh, the the very real. I mean, we, we kind of joked about it, but the very real like mental health issues that came out of not knowing whether or not I'm going to have a job uh, in sports. And then the fact that I'm a Mountain West fan and they canceled, like sent me into an absolute spiral of, of not being able to, uh, to sleep. And uh, so the break was very necessary. And, uh, and, and now I'm just excited to get back to it and, and, and tear everybody a new one. <laughs> Dude, I, um, okay. So president Trump, he meets with Kevin, uh, talks with Kevin Warren for about 20 minutes. Then he tweets out, oh, we're at the one yard line. The Big Ten is coming, essentially probably coming, coming back, all of this. And my and my first thought was, oh, that's a pressure move. He says the, the, the one yard line. But then I also thought, is he talking about the, the minus nine, the minus one yard line or the plus one yard line? So is there 99 yards to go or is there one yard left to go? So and. It, it felt like a lot of pressure was being put on the Big Ten because of r- regardless of whether you uh, support Trump or not, even uh, I, I heard a promo when when I was doing my Fox Sports radio show today. I did the, the Gottlieb show today and and on, on the promo in, in between, I heard Clay actually say that this is now a political thing. So, so you don't have to just attack me saying it's it's a political thing. It's a polit- it was a political move for President Trump because if you look at it at 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 the situation, he has a bunch of states in play. He has uh Pennsylvania, Ohio, um Nebraska, and a few other states that are particularly, you know, 
paramount to him winning. Oh, so let, let me read the list again. So you got Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Those are all in play. Those are going to be battleground states that give you enough electoral electoral college votes that whoever wins those states is going to win. If you win all of them, then you're going to win the election and vice versa. Regardless of whether you're uh, vote, voting for Biden or you're voting for Trump or if you are a person who's voting for Kanye West, if he's on any tickets. Um, so it, it was very obvious why he was doing this. And but the question is, was he going to be able to get it back? And the Big Ten essentially said, all right, if you can give us all our testing, contact tracing tests, all this stuff to mitigate the things that we thought were well, that we believed that uh, inhibited us from from playing, then maybe we will talk about it. And then that led a tweet by Dan Patrick about October 10th, which is not even reasonable because you need six weeks to ramp up. And we found out that a lot of the kids in the Big Ten schools, because they're not on campus, are not even on campus. Some of them aren't even in the state because they're remote learning. So getting the kids back and then starting back up and then you would have to quarantine them when they got got back. So the earliest possible that is even reasonable would be October 24th, which is still way too early. But the the Nebraska's athletic director, Bill Moose, who used to be Oregon's athletic director, ironically, um, and Nebraska is one of the three teams, Iowa, Ohio State and Nebraska, who voted not to stop the season. He then comes out and says there's nothing to the October 10th date, nothing to it. So now you have a standoff. But in the meantime, you have people asking, why wasn't the Pac-10? Well, why wasn't the Pac-12 part of the tweet? Why wasn't he? he, Why wasn't the Pac-12 part of President Trump's agenda? And I thought it was pretty obvious since we knew it was political that the only real, I guess, two potential battleground states are what, Colorado and Arizona. And so if but if Nevada were part of the Pac-12, then maybe you would have gotten the tweet. But you have, you know, the state of California who has four teams, Stanford, Cal or I'm sorry, UCLA and USC. They three of the four can't even play catch with with balls yet. So getting the Pac-12 back is wasn't even a possibility. Like it doesn't matter how many people are mad. The states are shut down like it's not even it's not about Pac-12 apathy, which 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 people said. No, it's just about the fact that the Pac-12 put out an 18 page plan, made their medical advisor available Regardless of whether you agreed with the decision, you can just say, all right, well, here it is. And we don't have the the uh, the the most important state open And Washington and California, Washington and Oregon have already pushed high school football back. You had like it's just an untenable situation in the Pac-12. So that's why people aren't aren't up in arms. And you didn't have the coaches essentially revolting as well. And let's be very clear that like passion isn't a uniformly positive connotation type thing. Like (laughs) we're talking about, 
you know, somebody like Clay Travis put out that like, there's just this huge passion gap and nobody's speaking out and nobody wants Pac-12 football. Plenty of people want Pac-12 football. I want Pac-12 football more than anything. It's just that people on the West Coast have a tendency not to kick and scream and cry and and throw freaking Molotov cocktails, you know, into church buildings over disagreements on policy, right? Like the more, <laughs> the most, the most passionate parts of our country are also where you find a bunch of civil war memorial burial sites, right? That's passion. Passion does not always serve you correctly. I would like for there to be football. Somebody else thinks that it's not necessarily safe to play right now. And if they have the ultimate power to make that decision, then I look at them and be like, ah, well, I guess that's the way it is. You know, I don't take to the streets and paint my entire body, you know? And of course we're going to get 18 emails right now about the fact that like Portland is full of these weirdos who get into, you know, armed conflicts and everything like that. But guess what? Those people aren't football fans. (laughs) So it just so happens that there are a truckload of extremely passionate, whether that's negative or positive football fans all over the South and all over the, the, the Midwest. And I would even extend that into Lincoln, Nebraska, who's really, you know, Nebraska's being as much of a, a rabble rouser in all of this as, as anybody right now, as a group of their parents ha- have decided to come out and, and sue the conference. Is there anybody that says that it's, it's indicative of a lack of passion on this side of the country that we also didn't have eight parents come out and, and decide to try um, and, and sue for the idea to play are forgetting the fact that we also are the, the, the part of the country that just had a bunch of players get together and threaten to hold out all together in order to try to enact change. There's passion over here. It's just directed in a little bit different of a manner. You can be, you can be passionate and lay on your horn in traffic and get into road rage, or you can be passionate and start a nonprofit and change the world. Passion can be a driver for positives or negatives. And I'm not going to look at the PAC 12 and say the fact that there's not a bunch of like spoiled, rotten parents thinking that they can sue into getting their kids onto the field. I'm not going to take that as a negative for our conference. Yeah. Yeah. I would a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, but, but people will uh, tell you that they'll say, Oh, in the sec, it just matters more. Yeah. Football does <laughs> matter more, but they, they, they will also. Okay. So I'm gonna go off on a tad bit of, of a tangent and I don't mind because I said this or I said it on radio. I said it on my podcast on the right or wrong pop podcast. You guys can tune into that. And what, and then the Arizona varsity podcast, uh, that, that that's what, that's what it's called. The, the, the one that you do, right? Uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess yeah. <laughs> Arizona varsities, Arizona varsity is my website. And then we, yeah, we got a bunch of different shows that we yeah. run, but yeah, you've, you've been pretty consistent everywhere you've, you, you've been. Yeah. So, so what, uh, so what uh, happened is this is you had Max Kellerman say that uh, essentially that actually I'm going to read the exact quote to you. Um, you you had Max Kellerman say that SEC voters 
were susceptible to low quality in, information. And people got super, super upset about this. He said that Trump's base would be very upset that they didn't have football, where it's practically a a, a religion. And he said that he would just uh, that he would just propagate, propagandize it and say that uh, (laughs) because they're um, almost immune to effects and people got all upset about it. And the, the the point I'm making about this is just about the SEC voters when they say it just matters more because there's been a truly a different sentiment about the coronavirus and about how to handle it, whether wearing masks is a good idea or whatever, largely in different states. I know that the states aren't perfect and all that, but but here's the thing is I agreed with Max Kellerman because I went and looked. Uh, the seven of the 10 least educated states in the country are in SEC country. You have Tennessee at 41, 44 Carolina, South Carolina, 45 Kentucky, 46 Alabama, 47 Arkansas, 48 Louisiana, and 50 Mississippi. So, I mean, like, is it, and that goes to say that people on the West, West Coast when the SEC says it just matters more and that we're going to pre- press on and play regardless, I think that there are a lot of people that look on and say, okay, I wish the Pac-12 had tried, but they can't say that the uh, that the SEC people are just saying, all right, this is a much better so- so- solution and that there's nothing to it and that that's a good idea. Would you agree well, with that? I, well, first of all, as an Arizonan who uh, is also in that bottom five of uh, 45 through 50 in education. Let me just say it's nice in the winter. Okay. So <laughs> wait, no, no, not- Arizona, Arizona's not in that. Oh, trust me. We are uh, oh. in t- teacher spending, classroom spending, um, uh, uh, reading math. We're the, the highest we are in any category, I believe is like 42. So, um, I guess shout out to Pat Tillman. Uh, but we, yeah, we're, we're not great in a lot of stuff. And I just want to throw out there that while a lot of people are in the classroom and learning because there's not going to be any place that they should be anyway, because there's either sleet or snow on the ground or uh, all of the leaves have fallen and everything looks dead. It's very nice outside. And, uh, some of us skip class to, to, to go do things in fairer weather. And, uh, and so, you know, th- there are definitely, uh, some reasons that I would say that, uh, that, that the, uh, <laughs> Southern United States and Southwestern United States are, are lower in those areas. Um, but I, I don't know if I can go as far as endorsing what you're saying and what Max Kellerman is saying. I don't think it's that the people are more, susceptible i think it just lines i think this just perfectly aligns with what their value system is you know we get a lot of the people who go and fight in wars on our behalf from that part of the country you know they they when they're convicted they're convicted and they they feel very very strongly about football and this is going to sound like i'm arguing against my own point which is that <laughs> you know but but the truth is i'm not saying that the uh 
I'm not saying that the SEC isn't passionate. I'm saying that the Pac-12 is. If I had to compare the two, obviously I'm going to say that fans go a lot more nuts for football in all of those conferences. But the Pac-12 doesn't lack for passion. It's just a completely different scenario in which people were more transparent. The, there is a, an abundance of passion. And as Dan Patrick would say, the pack and the passion bucket floweth over in some of those areas. And I think that people just feel real extra convicted about the things that they feel um, are deeply ingrained in their culture. People want to say that white people have no culture, but in the South, that culture is football. That, that, that culture is the flag. That culture is a lot of these things that have sort of come under scrutiny uh, as of late. And so you know, I think that uh, they're already aligned with the president for the most part anyway, if you're just talking about the popular vote and where those electoral uh, votes are going to go and who some of these supporters of these these uh, these programs are. That's just the, the, the fact of the matter. They're going to be more easily influenced because they've allowed themselves to be because they share a system of values, you know, whether or not, you know, Donald Trump, the New York billionaire actually holds those values is up for debate, but he espouses them. And because he espouses them and because they believe that he's on their team and these are very team oriented people, they're going to roll with whatever he says, which comes back to our point that we made on our last podcast, uh, which is, I would put the responsibility on him because a large part of the country that could have taken this more seriously from the get-go actually got their cues from him all along. And he's constantly been calling for states to remain open and for sports to be played. So, you know, not only is he saying something that they want to hear, they follow his lead anyway. It's not a matter of whether or not they're easily influenced because if they were easily influenced, you could have said that they were easily influenced by the last president before him or Bill Clinton before that. And that's just not necessarily the case. I think it's a matter of their values are aligned and he happens to lobby for the things that they personally want to see. Um, you know, and if it, it, and and the thing about Donald Trump is he's out there with a machine gun, taking shots at everybody. And once in a while, he's got that machine gun pointed at something I don't like. And, and when he does that, I even feel it in me of like, yeah, yeah, like I agree with that, and I'm glad that he's speaking to that issue forcefully. You got a bunch of people uh, in SEC country who want to see football, and you have the president of the United States out there tweeting in all caps that they should be playing. You know, that is somebody who you're gonna rally around if 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 you're you know ideologically inclined to. And I don't think it makes them dumb because if it did, then they'd be influenced by whoever's in charge. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. Hmm. That's interesting. So now, now, now the next question is, so if the big 10, which I don't think it's going to play until, I mean, it may play on into the end of the, well, you know, like Thanksgiving time, which they were potentially talking about, but I was able to talk to Dennis Dodd today uh, from, from CBS on the pot. I mean, on Fox sports radio today on the, the Gottlieb show. He said that he thinks that the the more likely scenario is for them to play in January, that that's probably most likely. So if if the pack, if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are both kicking off in the spring, I think that marrying those two conferences together 
is probably the optimal scenario because you don't want to try to do what Arizona high schools are doing right right now. I think that you want to have the um, that instead of having the potentially three conferences play, let's assume that they finish their uh, season. Despite I don't think that that's going to be the outcome. Let's say that they finish. Then you're going to have them trying to start up the same time next season. And then the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to be um, in a lurch. So if you don't have them starting up at the same time and then them playing against each other in exhibition games or bowl game tournaments or whatever you want to call it, then you're going to put yourself at a unique, weird spot and a disadvantage for the 2021 season. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're talking about a split a split season. I think that ultimately is what Arizona high schools are going to have to do. And so, you know, I I'm for that. Um, maybe have a couple of out of conference games against Big Ten opponents, and then play your ten game slate, and then see if you can't get a championship game against uh, each other. The trick to all of that is going to be then is that where you're at permanently. And does it become like a junior college football thing where California has its own association and everybody else plays under the NGCAC banner? Um, You know, if you've ever watched an episode of Hard Knocks, uh, you know that there's some teams that all play uh, for a national championship and then California has its own thing. You mean uh, Last Chance You? Did I say, what did I say, Hard Knocks? Uh, Hard Knocks, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, so – I think that do you end up in that situation permanently is the most important question you have to ask, because I think, (laughs) and you know, you, you might disagree with this. I think it's riskier to kids this age and more detrimental to kids this age to play two seasons in one calendar year than it is to play in the middle of this pandemic. I personally feel that way. See, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that playing two seasons in one year is potentially very physically taxing. I think that counting the number of days from the time that the season ends until the next season starts is probably optimal, right? Like, right. That if you and that's look why at- we should be, we should be playing a split season. Everyone, everyone probably should have pushed out to January and then we should have had like eight games in the spring and then eight games in the fall and a playoff or something like that. Yep. That would have been the way to make sure everybody's on the same page. But the, the, the other conferences that have stayed in so far, they need the big 10 to come back really badly because if the big, big 10 doesn't come back, then It's the biggest conference. It is the biggest conference. It is the, as much as people want to tout the SEC, it is the premier conference. They bring in the most money, highest television revenues, highest attendance. Like it is the bell cow of college football. Yeah, it really is. And the longer that they're apart from what everybody else is doing, the the more it hurts the overall product and ability to schedule bowl games and, and it just everything. So it, Either the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are going to offset for what might be permanently, or the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are making a move in the name of safety, and then they're going to ignore the dangers that could potentially come with 
putting kids on the field for 20 of 52 weeks at a minimum 20 of 52 weeks. Could, could, could this, I, I just had this idea right now while we we're talking, could this potentially be a huge benefit for the PAC 12 if you're now married with the big 10 and now are we pushing? And as a side note, are we now pushing more toward that 64 team conference Alliance or like, or, or two or two power conferences? Like if the big 10 and the PAC 12 merge and now you have 26 teams that are basically under the big 10 umbrella because they pretty much do everything together already now. And the States are pretty, you know, uh, they, they, they work together and then you could have the, all the Southern teams, essentially Southern and Southwest teams married to each other in that way. Here's the way everyone gets rich. You split college football. You have the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12, and you throw the American Conference in there, and you throw a couple of the independents that are over on the on the, the East Coast, and you have all of them dominate the fall and suck up all that TV money, and you turn uh you turn the conference that Memphis is in into a new uh, power conference, and essentially you have five power conference. You you create the same environment that you have now, and you create it without the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And then spring rolls around, and you have the exact same thing, exact same yeah, but product. You can't but you have the Mountain that, West and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and everybody else that's part of that spring cycle. Maybe even the Big Sky gets elevated, and those programs grow, and the schools grow along with them, and you have year-round football. Yeah, I but think then that, that doesn't work because then players would never go to the to the Pac-12 because then you would be um, essentially ineligible for the NFL draft. Uh, then, but that's when you would, if you're if you're breaking up the NCAA, then that's essentially when you would be able to 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 possibly uh, put different rules into place. Like you can make somebody eligible uh, from from the uh, the conferences that play in the spring. You can make them eligible for the NFL draft after two seasons. Can you imagine what that would do for some of these kids? You come in and you're a star as a freshman and a sophomore, and then you get to take a year off to train before the NFL draft. You could implement different rules that give an advantage to the Pac-12 school. Then if you have three good well, years, well, then you just take well, the ensuing year off to train anyway. Yeah, but, but if you think the, uh, you're NFL, a premier, premier player, if you think you're a premier, NFL that premier makes player, that rule, though. It, 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 it's not but that's easy. what I'm saying. It doesn't matter that it's the NFL that makes that rule. What I'm saying is the NFL still sets the rule that you have to be three years out of high school, right? Yeah. But if you can profit off your name, image, and likeness, and you can go to the Pac-12, and you can be eligible to turn pro after two years, and what turning pro means for you is different. It's a year of training, and what would be your redshirt sophomore or what would be your junior year, you take that year to train, to build your brand, and to jump into the draft. And that would be your way to look at elite prospects and say, you might want to go and you might want to play for three years uh, at Oklahoma State 
Or you could come over to the University of Washington, and if you're a star as a freshman and sophomore, you declare right then and there, that's your film, and then you just go train with Exos or whoever you want to spend your time with for, for, for the rest of that year. So you can mitigate that timetable, and then for anybody else who's ready after three years, they can take that extra year if they want to. Uh, as well. You just, you offset the system or you put the NFL in a, in a position to be able to draft more than once. And what would the NFL love more than anything than, than the ability to, to hold two separate drafts. You don't have to be on that calendar. You could come in as sort of a supplemental player and that might be a complete disaster. And I could be wrong, but we've learned over time. I'm just saying there's ways to make this work. There are ways to make it work. I think that they all involve playing in 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 the fall, and I'm in on the uh, super conferences. I just think that that's the optimal scenario, and that you're going to get like that's the way to the money, and that that's the way to uh, to glory for the Pac-12 as well, because you can like make a huge splash at this point in time now. Um, but, but you know, our podcast is called the Pac-12 Apostles. And if you make a super conference, there's not going to be a Pac-12 anymore. And then who am I going to hang out with every week, George? We will we will just change the name of the podcast, Ralph. It'll, it'll, oh, I like, uh, it's, it's a, just uh, a name. The name it doesn't the, I change. Like the, the name of the podcast is the only thing I brought to the table. You're carrying us. So if that's <laughs> gone, then I'm, I'm a really feel like just a, 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 the Danny DeVito in the twins relationship. That's that's funny. Um, you have the dude. You bring so much to this pod, podcast, bro. I can't even tell you. You come up with all these witty ideas and thoughts and all this stuff, which is which is great because it's totally different than than how I think, which is absolutely awesome. Um, but do you think so? The I I, I guess the next thing would uh, be is recruiting. How is this going to then impact recruiting in the Pac-12? Because if the if the ACC, Big 12, and SEC all end up playing, then could you have a player like – I mean, I, I think that it's kind of clear that they may – the Pac-12 may lose out on Corey Foreman, who's the number one player in the country, depending on where you uh, look. And – you know, like he may have gone to USC or Oregon, but now, especially with them not playing, that gives a lot of ammo in negative recruiting to players. And we're seeing players in the transfer portal and all of that. Like, do you think that this hurts Pac-12 recruiting? It, yes. I mean, it does, but at the same time, if, People want to use – this is where I would tread lightly if I was an ACC or SEC school trying to go come, come west and go after some of these elite recruits. If you do that, then I, my advice to the Pac-12 schools would be to just treat the entire recruiting landscape the way that Arizona State has for the last year. And you start calling these Western Pennsylvania kids – and get them on FaceTime and walk your ass down to the beach if you're Chip Kelly. Because if they really want to play this game, if these schools out in, you know, BFE Wisconsin really want to play games like this, then it's time to just go and get their kids. Because their kids, they wouldn't mind seeing the beach. 
They really wouldn't. The only reason that the Pac-12 isn't a bigger thorn in the side of everyone else in the country in the way that they recruit is that there's enough kids on the West Coast and that it's a little bit uh, cost prohibitive. But when you consider the fact that we're all just a phone call, a FaceTime away now, and and that the landscape of recruiting is probably going to change in the air in the in the era post COVID, and the majority of a lot of these kids' uh, uh, visits could end up being virtual because of this. Um, it's time for the West Coast schools to just say, "Hey, a kid's a kid," and and you go after some of these kids that w- that we're thinking about. Uh, you know, potentially, uh, spending the, the, the winter at, uh, in Ann Arbor or, you know, or, or wherever else. And I know I've made a big 10 reference, even though they're in the same boat, but like, I think that if the PAC 12 wanted to, they could make everybody's life hard if they took a national approach to the recruiting that, that they were doing. And so I would just, I would tread lightly. I would go after the big name kids but I wouldn't make this a focal point of the negative recruiting that you do. I just wouldn't. If you look at this video that that Antonio Pierce just put out. Oh, my uh, God, dude. What did, saying, what did you think of that video? Like, I, I just noticed how many times they showed his Bentley. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, uh, Antonio Pierce is in charge. This is the, so if there was ever any illusion about it, that's completely uh, been done away with by this video. But one of the things Antonio Pierce says within the video is, you know, you can shovel snow, you can shovel sand, can't shovel sunshine. And now that they've taken this national, this national approach, I'm telling you like that, that, that it's the doors are open for the PAC 12 to go out and do stuff like this. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I will say that that video made me laugh because it was like incredibly well scripted flashy MTV crib style propaganda for the first four minutes. And then one minute of absolute nonsense from Herm Edwards, which I adored every with, with single sparky? second. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is absolutely no reason for, for Herm to be masked and for Sparky to have his entire like, headgear on in the same there's no reason for them to be flipping coins there was this thing that herm edwards said about you get to be tails because you're sparky george what the hell does that even mean i, I, have, I have no been idea what thinking, that meant. i've been thinking about that Bro, line i was thinking about that when he did it hours. i was like I don't understand what this means. Am I am I tripping? But I was like, Herm probably I'm, just said. This. I'm obsessed with it. You know, there's there's that alludes for what I can tell to absolutely nothing. But it's been the only thing I can think about for the last 24 hours. And then beyond that, yeah, beyond that, you have the thing where he's going through the video game and he points out Brandon Ayuk and Nikhil Harry, um, which the you know. Uh, Made me laugh, and then showing the but showing their ratings up on the screen because they're still like rookies. The Madden ratings low, yeah. Uh, th- so that that part cracked me up. But everything about that video uh, was absolutely hilarious to me. And there are a lot of coaches and, and programs that are doing some really really good stuff with appealing to get PJ Fleck at Minnesota. Holy hell, that guy is a marketing whiz. Um, and so like there are schools that, that that do a good job with that. But I mean, just if you've ever watched MTV Cribs, I think you probably enjoyed that video if you've ever been to tempe the entire time you were just wondering how far they're going to take the the eye candy you know because yeah. there's the, the 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 stereotype 
of Tempe as like a party school and everything like that, but they kept it pretty focused on the fact. Yeah, that... Yeah, uh, because you can't do. They would have to reshoot the video. People that lot of people would be upset about too many um, um, female <laughs> references as you know as objectivity. Uh, objectifying them yeah that would not be the move bro no nobody would get upset because no one out here has any passion george so you don't have to worry about that uh but the uh (laughs) the the thing that cracked me up is they showed devin booker and the phoenix suns and they were like come out here and you can go to suns games and i was thinking to myself like wait the like is this assuming the kids have money or (laughs) right (laughs) that part of it was weird and then the other part of me was like as a Suns fan and knowing how terrible they've been over the last decade I was like oh because there's a lot of seats (laughs) just open in the in the the stadium Um, but yeah no that video was hilarious but I think that it illustrates my overall point that like you could some these these places out here George I love the pact it is beautiful and it is diverse and I mean I, I could wax poetic about about every single one of these places and 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 their importance and their relevance to the culture out here and uh, if I can do it then someone who's getting paid to do it's going to do 10 times as good of a job you throw some of these videos together you start sending them to kids that live in Alabama and Arkansas and uh, and you know outside the Blue Ridge Mountains and, and you you can make quite an impact so I think that that's that might be the future of Pac-12 recruiting is just put you know using the production value that exists in the film school out at UCLA to put stuff together and lure some of these kids from all over the country yeah i i agree with you dude that if you're gonna come after the pac-12 players then then they should go on full offense and take all your three-star kids like because those are the ones that you're gonna for sure be able to pull pull out of there so go so like take some of the layups dude yeah so so you get five official visits right you're from you said you're originally from tennessee am i remembering that correctly yeah yeah so let let's just let's say that you stayed there like let's assume that in that story you stayed there and all of a sudden your official visits you know you've got the locals recruiting you real hard but ucla wants you to fly out for an official and so does arizona state and for good measure so does stanford do three of your five do three of your five official visits go outside your region? Probably. Probably <laughs> do. We want to thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We are back. So it felt good today, Ralph. It felt good to be back at home with, with you doing the podcast, back with our uh, Pac-12 Apostles family. And uh, yeah, so but but from now on, we will announce our breaks. I think that that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it, it was hopefully it was good for good to get a break from us. <laughs> hopefully it was good for you all as well. Yep. All right. Uh, peace out. Catch you guys later. Five star review. Tell a friend. Make sure you share. Peace out. <laughs>